Welcome back to the Bible Breakdown. You like my new lead-in? I'm just so excited to be back after a couple of weeks. If we've got any friends, fans that are listening, when Joey gets the chance to reprise his role as Dr. Drake Ramore on Days of Our Lives, even though he's in a coma, he unwraps his face bandage and says, I'm back, baby. And that is what the Bible Breakdown is saying today. We are back, and we are back for the foreseeable future Hopefully, less interruptions now. The summer just has a way. You know, I think we all get it. Summer happens. But we did have a family worship Sunday at Solid Rock this last week. So, no kids ministry typically means no Bible breakdown. But kids men is back. The Bible breakdown's back. And we are back with the book of Ruth. Now, we have finished talking about the book of Judges. If you know your Bible book's song, you know that it's Joshua Judges Ruth. So now we are at the book of Ruth, which takes a place during the time of the Judges. We are told that in the very first verse of the book. But Ruth is a really awesome story. If you are not familiar with the story of Ruth, you will be after today. But it is a really great story. Uh, It's got meaningful relationships. Um, We see some uh, humans personifying these grand aspects of God's character. Um, And we see to like these different little plot points of God's unique and creative story of redemption. Okay. So we get to, I feel like we get to see God's creativity uh, in the book of Ruth and throughout scripture, but this is one of those plot points where we get to see just the creativity of God and how he uh, wields a a plan that is uh, just incredible. One that we could never dream up on our own. Also every uh, DTS student who goes through, uh, Hebrew three, so the third of the Hebrew classes. Um, we basically spend the whole classes kind of like our object lesson, so to speak. Like this is where we do kind of the practice of the different skills and linguistics that we're learning. So it's also fun. I was re- reliving my uh, old seminary days and looking at some of my old notes, and I was like, oh, that was a fun time. I was actually doing that class like right at this time three years ago. So kind of fun. But we are going to be in the book of Ruth. Um, it's a it's only four chapters, but it's pretty packed. Um, we're going to do our best to get through it in a reasonable amount of time, which this lead-in has not really probably led you to believe that that is my goal, but it is. So we are going to jump right in with no more pomp and circumstance. We're getting right into the scripture. So Ruth 1, 1 through 6 says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so we jump right into a story that starts off not great because people are having to leave their country. It gets worse because Naomi's husband died. It gets even worse when her two sons die. So we start out and within six verses. We feel like, wow, okay, this Naomi is, has had it pretty tough. In fact, the Chapter heading, it says Naomi widowed is the way that this story starts. So uh, Elimelech is a fairly normal sounding Hebrew name. It means my God is king. 
But then the names of the two children are actually a little bizarre. And Malon actually means sickly and Kilion means frailty. So these may not have actually been their names. This may be kind of a, a little bit of authorial license here um, to kind of foreshadow what maybe was going to happen to them as they, you know, after we get their names, they die two verses later. So that may not have been their actual names. Elimelech sounds a little more likely as a Hebrew name. And of course, lineage and stuff that matters. We're gonna, his name's going to pop back up as we get into the story. So that makes sense that his was preserved. It's entirely possible that Malon and Kilion were their real names and that they were born sickly, um, but possibly not. We'll see. But Naomi and her boys, they go to Moab to escape famine. So they are from Bethlehem. I don't know if you've ever heard of the city of Bethlehem. I bet it never comes up again in the Bible. Weak. So they leave Bethlehem to escape the famine, which is a bummer in and of itself. And then, of course, husband dies and the sons marry to Moabites. So remember, they weren't supposed to do that, really. End of Joshua, he tells them, don't worship idols and don't intermarry with the nations around you. And so they weren't really supposed to be doing that, but they did. So they got Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah. And then we've got Ruth. Obviously, one of these is going to take a bigger role than the other in the story. So uh, then the sons, sick, sickly and frailty, um, unsurprisingly, die, given their names. And so Naomi is left with these two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and tons of grief. So moving down then to verse 8, it says this. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So Naomi urges them to go back home. So they're already in their homeland at this point. Um, and then, but the, I think the reason that this is kind of the breaking point is they had heard that the famine was ending in Israel. So I think Naomi was probably about to head on back. In fact, it says they went on to return to the land of Judah. There you go. Come on, boy, read the verse. In verse seven, it says they were headed out. And she tells them basically, you should go home so you can basically have a fresh start, like that you can go back to your mother's house and then basically with the assumption that they would remarry. So she's going to go on to say, I don't have any sons that I can give you, so you need to abandon me and go back to your own houses. Because for a woman in the ancient Near East, it would have been very tough to go on without a husband and survive to provide for themselves. And so Naomi's thinking practically here, um, you, you need to take care of yourselves. Um, so Naomi wishes, um, as we saw there in verse 9, that asks that the Lord grant that you may find rest. Um, and uh, no, I'm sorry, it's in verse 8 when it says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. Uh, this is the Hebrew word chesed. You hear the little ch at the, that's that kind of guttural uh, noise that exists not in our language, so it can be very difficult for us. But chesed is a word that, is very meaningful in the Old Testament. So it refers to a type of love or faithfulness or loyalty that's all just thrown into one. So like faithful, loyal love is what hesed usually means. And that often describes the love that God has for his people. So we've talked before about how the name for God, Yahweh, is kind of this covenant title for God. So they sometimes call him 
uh, Elohim, which is a more generic term for God. And then Adonai also comes up. Yahweh is kind of this covenant title for God that represents his covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, and this word, chesed, is very representative of covenantal love. So it's this word that is, even though when you read it, it's, may the Lord deal kindly, it sounds like a kind of generic greeting. Um, the word is often translated other ways than just love or faithfulness. Um, but that's the word used here. So she's basically wishing that on them that the Lord continue to be faithful to you. The Lord continue to be loyal to you as you have dealt with the dead and with me is what she says. So uh, they kind of push back on Naomi and they say, no, no, we want to go with you. And then she's like, I have no sons. And even if I was to get remarried and have sons, would you wait for him to get old? And so Orpah takes Naomi's advice and heads out. Um, no shame on Orpah for that. Um, Naomi was insisting that she did that. It, it made sense. Um, so Orpah does kind of serve as a uh, foil to Ruth. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but she heads back and there's no need to keep any shame on old Orpah. She's just doing what Naomi told her to do, but Ruth stays. And here's what she says. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. When you die, or where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So Ruth gives this incredible statement of loyalty to Naomi, promising that she is going to be faithful to her. Okay, so Orpah leaves. She acts as this foil for Ruth. Orpah's not really doing anything wrong, but it highlights, it makes even more clear this great character trait that Ruth has this incredible loyalty and love for Naomi. Okay, maybe you are um, hearing what I'm kind of hinting at uh, is on the docket. Okay, loyal love, Ruth, God's loyal love. Okay, so we're going to see there's some wonderful symbolism here in what we see in Ruth's character that mirrors the character of God. So uh, they return then to the town of Bethlehem. Again, probably not important, probably won't come up again. And the people are very happy to see Naomi. And they're like, hey, it's Naomi. She's back because this has been a while, right? That's since they, they left um, to go and find food in Moab. However, Naomi says... Do not call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. So she is happy to return, but she is not feeling like she's Naomi anymore. This is verse 20 of uh, chapter one. Call me Mara. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So call me Mara, which means bitter. So Naomi is understandably upset, even though she's returning home, even though she's got Ruth. It's a little bit rude. Verse 21, she says, I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. And Ruth's like, cool, that's fine. I guess that's good. Though it does really kind of show where at that time the culture was ascribing value to people. It was ascribing value into, for at least a woman, to produce offspring. And her, she had produced offspring, but they were no more. So she felt like she was empty. So that's kind of how the return goes. Um, and then we see a little bit what 
their new life is like in the Bethlehem area. So verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Ruth is in Bethlehem, and she is doing what would be common for a woman in her situation or other people that would have trouble providing for themselves. She's going to glean enough grain to survive from what is left over from the harvesters. Okay, so basically she's going to follow along. And you can imagine if somebody's using, a, say, a scythe to cut down some heads of grain as they gather them into sheaths, you know, some of the grain that's on that wheat is going to fall onto the ground. It would be really meticulous to have to pick it up, which is probably why they, A, would leave it there. B, um, it kind of made for a day for a person who was struggling. And so they got to the end of the day, they had food, they had a hard day's work. And so it was kind of a wave that, everybody wins. And actually the law commanded that the people who were harvesting their fields not harvest to the very, very edge of the fields. And the purpose was so that the poor could glean from it. So you're going to leave like a little, if you imagine like a square uh, plot of wheat, that those very, like that line of the square is going to be where some, uh, some bits of, not bits of wheat, some stalks of wheat would remain standing and the people were allowed to uh, take from that. So that was kind of normal um, for them to be able to glean that. And it's basically less goes to waste, the poor are taken care of, just kind of a, a way that God set up for um, those who were poor to be taken care of. Um, so she went to a field. Um, we know about Boaz. At this point, Ruth doesn't know about Boaz. So just want to make that clear. She didn't purposely go to his field. In fact, in the Hebrew here, it says in uh, verse three, when it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field, in Hebrew, it literally says her happenstance happened. So it's meant to mean that Ruth probably viewed this as very coincidental, though the reader, us, we were supposed to recognize like, oh, we know who Boaz is. And oh, looky there, she happened to come to the field of Boaz. So we're meant to see this as God's providence. But for Ruth, this is kind of a like, I don't know who Boaz is. I don't know who owns this field. So that's kind of where she's at. So we're meant to see God's providence in this. So Boaz comes down to the fields um, and he's chatting with uh, his servants and stuff. And he sees Ruth and he's basically like, who's that lady? Who's that lady? So they tell her or he they tell him that she has been gleaning there and uh, she's been they're like, she's working really hard. And Boaz is like, I like a hearty woman who works hard. Um, and so they also point out, oh, this this is the woman who came back with Naomi from Moab. And so Boaz goes and talks to her, tells her she can keep gleaning in his field with the servants, and he promises that she'll be safe. He basically says, don't go to any other fields. And in verse 9 of chapter 2, he's going to say, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Basically, like, I I can trust that my servants are going to leave you alone. So as a Poor single woman, she would have been uh, at risk of being taken advantage of, um, possibly uh, assaulted. Um, also, she could have been seen as kind of like prey for like if one of them wanted to marry, they might have come after her. 
Um, so Boaz is basically like, you're, you're safe in this field. Don't go to the other fields. We'll, we'll take care of you here. And in verse 10, she responds to kind of this offer that she's going to be protected, that she's welcome in the field. It says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz is showing Ruth this kindness because he's heard about what the content of her character is. He's heard how well she has been treating Naomi, and he is very encouraged by that and wants to treat her with the same kindness. So uh, then as chapter two goes on, Boaz actually invites her to come and dine with his servants. So I know for us, like thinking like, oh, well, you can come eat with the servants doesn't sound like the most generous offer ever. Um, but this is by far ab above and beyond what would have been expected of a person uh, who saw someone gleaning in their field. Again, not that abnormal um, that that would have been happening. Um, so again, she he actually tells the servants, hey, by the way, she can glean among the sheaves. And you know what? Go ahead and put some sheaves out for her um, so that she can, so she can glean from those. So instead of like having her just trail along and pick up the little bits, like I said, you can imagine picking little heads of grain off the ground, like one by one, um, would be very challenging and very backbreaking. Um, he says, well, she can go to, like among the sheep. So she can go into the main part of the field and she can like straight up pick out of the the full heads of grain. Um, and they said, you know what? Actually, once, once you get some sheaves, why don't you just go and put them out for her? So now she doesn't even have to walk among the sheaves. She's getting the sheaves brought to her and she has the opportunity to winnow them and take the grain. So he, again, he's going way above and beyond to show her this kindness. And so she uh, goes and she gleans. And with all that, she comes back with about uh, 22 liters of barley is what it says. It says about an ephah, which would be a, which they're not a hundred percent sure. There's like kind of a fairly wide variation actually of what they think is an ephah on the lower end of possibility. This is probably about 50 pounds of barley which A, would have been very difficult for her to carry all that way back. She may have had some help. But also it shows how generous that Boaz was being. We're talking about a day's work and she's got 50 pounds of food. Okay, a person would have been happy to get enough to eat for the day from their gleaning. And here she is carrying a very long time's worth of food. So she goes back to... Naomi, with all this barley, she says, Naomi, you won't believe it. I met this guy. You probably don't know him. His name is Boaz. He was really nice to me. And then Naomi gets super hyped about that because she knows that Boaz is a relative of theirs. I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning, but I guess I read it briefly. But Boaz was a, no, it says, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. He was a well-known person and a uh, person that was viewed very positively. So he had a very good reputation in the town. So this isn't just like, oh, it's your old weird uncle Boaz. This is like, oh, it's Boaz. Like 
he's awesome. Everybody loves Boaz. And so she's super excited. It's like, he was related to my husband. God has obviously provided that you would go there. She says, hey, just again, she repeats what Boaz says. Go to that field. Do not go to other fields. You will be safe with Boaz. And so um, then Naomi starts to hatch a plan. And this is where it gets a little weird. All right. Chapter three, verse starting verse one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Okay, so I should have probably mentioned one of the reasons that Naomi is so excited about Boaz is he is one of their redeemers. Okay, so verse 20 of chapter 2 tells us this. He said, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, this idea of a redeemer, well, there were kind of a couple ways that it seemed to maybe kind of coalesce into one uh, instance, but basically there were two different parts of the Old Testament kind of led to what we're going to see take place here. So one, um, and I forget, I'm pretty sure the marriage one's from Deuteronomy, but I forget, uh, they may be, be from Deuteronomy, but they're kind of in separate sections. The first is if a, uh, say a brother uh, died, then the, or he was set, he was so poor that he was had to sell his land, something like that. The brother would kind of have the responsibility of buying that land if possible, so that the land could stay in the family. So that was kind of the design. Um, so this would go for for property and things like that. So it's kind of like your brother um, gets the opportunity to, if they're able to buy that land, so the family itself doesn't lose it. So it's kind of to protect a, a family's inheritance and things like that. Then there's another kind of related issue is if a uh, if a brother's should pass away and uh, his wife, he was married and his wife is widowed. If his he has a brother that's unmarried, then the brother's responsibility then would be to marry the uh, the widowed wife. So that again, so she could be taken care of. And now I say that these kind of move together. It's not the assumption that the woman is property. It's it's a caring thing. But this is kind of like Boaz is not Elimelech's brother, but he's a relative. And so it's kind of all like it's around this idea of keeping things within like a family or clan. Um, and it, it does involve some property, I believe we're going to see in chapter four. And then also there's Ruth. Um, who's kind of like, it doesn't quite exactly fit, but that's the the idea that Naomi has in her mind here, that Boaz, as a fairly close relative, would make the choice possibly to redeem Ruth, meaning that he would marry her, okay? So that's why they've hatched this very interesting plan. So basically, she's supposed to sneak up on Boaz while he's at the threshing floor, um, and then to be incognito until he has finished eating and drinking when he lies down and then, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Now, this plan is very bizarre. It is not 100% clear what the implications are. Here's some of the issues that we have to like work out as we try to figure out what exactly is going on. Because 
the people in stories in the Bible aren't always perfect. They're not always doing everything totally above board. So, so, so we have to be aware that sometimes they're going to do things that are inappropriate. Um, first thing we don't fully know, we don't have a clear understanding of what all of the words mean. There are three words in here. Um, one is about the lying down. One is about the uh, feet. And I believe one is uh, the other one is about the uncovering. They all could literally mean those things, but they all could have euphemistic um, sexual undertones as well. So for example, um, lie down, that's one we're at least decently familiar with in scripture, um, that it will say a, a man lay with his wife to be a euphemism for, um, for sex. So that's kind of one of those things that we're, it's not a hundred percent certain what that one means. And the other two have some similar kind of possible euphemistic uses. So that's one. We also don't have a clear understanding of any sort of custom that exists here. If you have had somebody teach you about the book of Ruth, I can almost guarantee you've been told that uncovering the feet was a an offer of marriage or something like that. There we're we're going to get to it. All all I'm going to say is there is no clear understanding. I've seen that several times. I've never seen anyone quote like a source on that. So if you don't see a source on something that like people are just assuming, you kind of got to question it. I'm questioning it a little bit. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. Um, that's possible, but not certain. So that's really all I'm saying there. And then third, we don't know if this mission is romantic or practical. It's hard to tell if Naomi is sending her in to be like, um, hey, this is a romantic situation. Or if it's a like, hey, maybe if we, talk to him here when he's kind of alone, this would be a good time to bring up this kinsman redeemer thing. So uh, kinsman redeemer is that phrase that we use for that person who has the opportunity to, to redeem uh, a person. So anyways, and then also another thing, and I have one uh, commentary that I read that thinks basically the way that Ruth goes about everything, she's basically like goofing up everything. Like she says, I'm going to do everything you said, but then she does it all wrong. Because she was supposed to wait till he lied down, but he was still awake and all these kind of things. And it's basically like a kind of a comic situation. So that's, I guess, possible too. But here's what we do know. So we got to focus on what we know. And then the other things that we don't know, maybe, maybe aren't as important. Here's something that feels is pretty certain. Verse three, put on your cloak. This cloak was dressed for warmth, not for, it was not provocative. So we do know that she has put on a cloak that is meant to keep her warm. So, okay, that helps us understand a little bit what her intentions are. Because that the word used for that cloak is exclusively used for something that you would use to keep warm. Um, well, another thing we know, she makes a fairly clear declaration of what her intentions are in verse 9. Uh, basically, Boaz wakes up and is like, huh? And he said, who are you? She answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So she makes a fairly clear declaration what she's doing. I am here because you are a kinsman redeemer. That is why I'm here. And then third, Boaz responds by praising her. If she were there to do something inappropriate, then he may not have felt so inclined to praise her. Um and respond so positively to that because again Boaz is an upstanding guy and we see that like they talk it through and she goes she goes off and like they they start to work this out um so that's what we do know so I would say most likely 
the plan is for Ruth to take initiative to expedite this redeemer process. So she is taking the initiative with Boaz um, and she's making her intentions known that I would marry you if you were to take this kinsman redeemer kind of role in my life. So again, Boaz is very excited by this offer. He praises her for coming, even though this is, again, anyway, you slice it, it's weird that you pop in to somebody that's sleeping on barley. <laughs> and when they wake up, you're like, you're a redeemer. So it's it's weird no matter what. Um, but he responds very positively. He accepts, but he does tell her, hey, there's somebody actually more closely related to Elimelech than me. So I need to make sure that this person is kind of okay with Yomi doing this. Um, so he does that in uh, verse, I mean, sorry, in chapter four, he comes up to this guy um, and they talk about it. He's like, hey, uh, so Naomi has this piece of land that was to Limelech. You could buy it. And the guy's like, oh, sure, I'll buy it. He's like, oh, by the way, if you do, it comes with this woman named Ruth. Is it basically what he tells him. He's like, ah, oh, never mind. I'm, I'm okay. So Boaz like, cool, I'll do it. So he agrees that he will, again, this kind of combination of the, the land thing and the wife thing that are kind of both designed for brothers, but he's a close relative. So he's kind of taking that on. Um, the guy gives up, the other guy gives up his claim. And so he does. And Verse seven, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a manner of attesting in Israel. Okay, so you see the difference between that and the quote unquote custom of the uncovering of the feet in chapter three. It, it tells us very, that's how I know this was a custom because it clearly tells me in chapter three, I, I do not know of a custom that existed. Again, I'm not saying it did not exist. I would I would honestly love for somebody to show me something that would give us clarity. Something with a footnote would be awesome. Um, so that's why I'm not going to say, oh, this was clearly what she was doing by the uncovering the feet. We know it's clear because she says, spread your wings over your servant. You are a redeemer. Basically saying, hey, take, would you take care of me, please? Um, so all that to say, if I was to take a guess at the uncovering the feet thing, there's part of it like his feet may have gotten cold and it may have woken him up. Maybe that was cause for him to wake up and then, oh, hey, Ruth's here. Um, and, you know, she's like laying down there next to the barley pile too toward his feet. And so maybe it's just how he was getting woken up. I don't know. But we do know about the sandal custom because scripture tells us, yay. So that's always more helpful. So that kind of seals the deal there. And so they marry and we get the opportunity to not just see this kinsman redeemer situation play out for Ruth, but we also see redemption in Naomi's life in chapter four, starting in verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Okay. So uh, Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a baby. And so the women all talk about how the Lord has taken care of Naomi um, they talk about how 
Ruth is better to her than seven sons would have been, seven being the number of perfection. So basically seven sons would be top notch culturally. And they said, uh, your daughter-in-law Ruth is more to you than seven sons could have been. And they've given birth to this child. And then Naomi gets the chance to be his nurse. So there's obviously, it's kind of like the story of Job. Like there's a, it's, it, there's still the loss, right? We don't just look over the loss, but we also recognize the blessing that this uh, grandchild is for Naomi. And they say a son's been born to Naomi, basically just kind of giving credence to the, uh, and attention to the fact that she had lost so much and now she had gained so much in the birth of this son. Now they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Remember Bethlehem in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, right? So Ruth is David's great grandmother and in the line of Jesus. So this is another great story where we get to see again, what a, what a unique story, what a creative way for this line to continue for God to orchestrate this beautiful story. And we see two things, I think, especially prominent about God's character kind of through our two main characters here. So first we see that God is the perfect picture of loyal love, just like Ruth displayed loyal love. God is the most perfect picture of loyal love. He took care of Ruth when she happened upon quote unquote, happened upon her happenstance happened to that. She went to Boaz's field, took care of uh, Naomi, that they were uh, blessed with lots of food um, from Boaz and that uh, eventually that Boaz takes Ruth and is marries her. And so, and then even though Naomi had lost so much that in the end, she gets a wonderful companion in Ruth and then also uh, a grandson in Obed. So recognizing that this, that God was loyal to Naomi and to Ruth, that he was loving, that he was faithful to them. We see that personified in Ruth, but even more perfectly in God's loyal love. And then we also see that God is the perfect redeemer. So Boaz is the one who personifies that. He restores Ruth and provides, and they have a child together. Um, She is taken care of. Uh, even though she had lost much, um, but the Lord blessed her with circumstances she would never have chosen. And not only, but through that, Naomi is also blessed through that. And Boaz is blessed through that, through his relationship and having children as well. And of course, we know that God being the most perfect redeemer is fully seen in Jesus' work on the cross. So we see here this, um, I think it's really cool that we get to see the Davidic line here, because we're talking about this redeemer and it ends in this, Hey, father of David. And of course we know that Jesus was from the house of David. So we start to see this redemption. This is like part of the buildup to the story of what Jesus is going to do on our behalf when he dies on the cross, when he is raised from the dead. Um, This is just another one of those plot points where we get to see the beautiful story of God's redemption. So the story of Ruth is really this, Uh, object lesson, this personification of the qualities that God has showed us in Jesus. And as much hardship as they had been through, in the end, what won out was God's loyal love and his redemption.